everyone, and welcome to another awesome episode of Cisco Champions Radio, where your Cisco champions will ask Cisco and other team experts the questions that they will have um, or that you might have. Anyways, <coughs> excuse me. We have today Brian, Chris, Jody, and David. Uh, Brian, who are you? What do you do? I'm uh, Brian Shawland. I'm a product director at Blue Cat Networks, looking after our DDI automation and security strategy. Fantastic. Chris. Hi, Chris Revere. I'm a technical solutions architect with Cisco's cloud security team. Awesome. Oh, forgot to ask, are either of you on the Twitters? I'm not. Uh, All right. Keep going. Jody, I know you are. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm Jody Lemoyne. I'm an independent IT consultant, mostly working with uh, other IT companies that need network escalations and the like. I'm on Twitter as Ghost in the Net. You can follow me for snark and the occasional technical tidbit. Fantastic. David. I work as a uh, lead technical consulting engineer in Bryce Enterprise Solutions in Czech Republic, and I work daily with people and uh, virtualization, SD one, and this kind of stuff that is hot right now. And I'm on Twitter at David Tomo PS. Most probably, you have seen me already. I'm quite spam. You're infamous. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm just being decent, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Jody. I think you wanted to kick us off. Well, yeah, um, I've done a little bit of research on uh, what we what we're seeing from Umbrella and from the uh, the Blue Cat DNS Edge stuff, and I'm interested in how that clicks together because just looking at the the fifty thousand foot view, it looks like there's a whole lot of overlap in what you guys are doing. So I'm wanting to know how that's integrating. I I can handle this question from the the Blue Cat's perspective. Um, Umbrella is fantastic as traffic egresses out the network, so the north-south protection as you're querying external domains. But the vast majority of queries that go on in a modern enterprise network aren't even external queries. They're internal queries between internal database servers, Active Directory, all these internal solutions. So we see ourselves as very complementary with Umbrella protecting the north-south traffic as it egresses out the network, and BlueCat solution providing the east-west lateral visibility uh, from a DNS security perspective. And just to kind of add on to that really quick, um, one of the nice things about Umbrella is it provides you know, the complete visibility for those traffic that's north and southbound. But lots of times what we see with an organization is, you know, you point all your DNS to us by default. And what we'll see is we'll see the attribution will be down to the egress IP, right? That office of where all the traffic comes from. Um, we do have a number of different deployment models that we can use to get additional visibility there. But via the integration with BlueCat, what that actually allows us to see is additional attribution, for instance, down to the private IP address of who's making that query. So, so what will happen is we see... Um, they will essentially add the private IP when they're hitting our resolver. So instead of us just seeing, oh, this is the egress IP of that office, we can see that in addition to the private IP address, which is more of an indication of who behind that egress IP is actually making the resulting DNS query. So instead of having to implement the Umbrella VM agent, uh, that can just be taken out of the picture and BlueCat will provide that information as it sends things up. Yeah, I mean, in, in some cases, yes. There's other cases where users may still want, like, Active Directory username, right? Or there's, mm. there's other different use cases for that, but it does so allow for a, yeah, it, it does allow for a nice kind of synergy there. So it's not a 100% integration. 
It's in, in the sense that the Umbrella VM will still provide stuff that the Blue Cat stuff won't. Yeah, correct. Well, understood. Okay, thank you. So what I could understand from this is that you would then point internally to Blue Cat. You will do all the checking, and then Blue Cat will simply forward everything to Umbrella if yeah, it's external. So, well, after it's being checked internally. I'm sorry, I just wanted to finish. Yeah, so it's so we act as a first-hop DNS resolver, so the clients point directly at the what we call the edge device. Um, this edge device, we can use a technology called namespacing to either forward to the internal DNS solution, the enterprise DNS solution, or if it needs to egress out the network directly to the umbrella resolvers. But when we do that, we encapsulate the source IP address of the client coming in. Okay, so we're actually talking before before starting all the podcast, and we're discussing what are the, the possibilities of this type of deployment, because you can just then... Or is it possible that you can just deploy it in the cloud and then have some kind of cloud-based DNS resolver? And, and you have at some point, well, internally you will have maybe BlueCat, but then yep. you just go, it will go just up to the umbrella and then down. And how do yeah, you? Yeah, it's it's a forwarder, so it's completely agnostic. You can place these things in the cloud. We encourage customers to deploy as many of these. Uh, edge devices as we say our service points as possible just purely to actually get the context of as many segments of the network as possible so you're saying you're a first hop dns resolver yep and the umbrella vm agent is a first hop dns resolver in this arm wrestle who wins if you're if you're deploying both is it a race condition <laughs> uh, i mean i don't think i don't think you would i think in most cases you probably wouldn't deploy both and it would really be on like a per customer basis, right? We want to look and see what visibility do you need in that environment, right? Okay. If, if just if you don't need Active Directory username or something, then it might be fine. We're just fine using BlueCat, right? Well, let's say we do. And yeah, so then, then it kind of gets us to another discussion, which is, do you also want to protect those users when they're on and off network, right? Because that's where we have other integrations. So you may not even need to get the username. We don't even necessarily, if we have the roaming client or the agent installed, we actually don't need the VM out there either. Well, let's keep it simple and so, say it's it's purely no remote users and it's it's just one site. We've got the BlueCat DNS Edge. We've got the Umbrella VM Appliance because we want the Active Directory users. Would it be a case of hit the um, hit the Umbrella client and then have those domains feed up to BlueCat? Or have, have the exception domains feed up to BlueCat, and that way we get both? Yeah, you, okay. you, you could do, or you could service chain this almost, hit the VA first, then hit the edge point. Yep. Okay. okay, so how does this impact, actually, the the the, well, the flexibility of the whole solution, and also the, the speed? Because how much time then does it take to get to one solution and then the other? Because you're just pretty much just relaying. I will check some part, and then I will just send it to the other. Just asking, okay. How does, it uh, how does this affect when you just send the traffic back and forth? No more than the standard DNS environment where you're likely to have series of slave servers, masters, caching resolvers. We're just an extra hop. Yeah, there is going to be some additional latency as you pass through the first one, yeah. uh, but nothing untoward that you would massively impact a network. And we're still going to have local caching anyway. Yeah, so. I, I should mention the service point itself acts as a caching resolver itself, so it's actually caching these responses. And lots of times when the organization is point to umbrella as well, leveraging our Anycast network, it kind of improves the response times quite often compared to what they have by default, right? So one of the other the benefits is just the simplicity of making sure if you have a global deployment, just point towards our Anycast IPs, and you're basically guaranteed to get the quickest DNS queries for users no matter where they are. Okay, so earlier you were mentioning that you could use some information that BlueCat can provide somehow. So what... Uh, up to which level is this, uh, well, customizable? What can you add or remove from the information you need? Because if you need, well, uh, users to 
uh, use the Active Directory, for example, and you can take a part of the info. But how can you just uh, get this granular? How much can you just take out of with, it? With Umbrella? Yes. Well, actually, with both in the way that you work together. Because internally, it's Bluecat, right? But Umbrella goes out. At the, at the moment, we limited it to the context of the source IP address, but there's no reason we can't encapsulate any further data coming through. Okay. okay so what about... Uh, this was actually another point of discussion. If uh, you would anyway all the time need the, the umbrella VM there to be sitting the agent, so you're able just to, to send the info there, because it's kind of heavy. So is there a way that you can integrate oh, yeah, yeah, So you actually don't need the VM. Uh, mm -hmm. Like in, There's many circumstances where you don't use the VM. Okay. Right? So I say there's a kind of corner cases where you do need the VM, just, just to kind of set things. There's We have thousands of organizations that have deployed without the VM, right? I mean, if you think about you do the VM, you're still not protecting users when they go off network, right? So that's where we have like a standalone roaming client, which can basically detect if I'm in a coffee shop or I'm at a customer site, it essentially encrypts all my DNS queries, sends them to our resolver, and still allows get my organization to get visibility and enforce security. And that's, that's one of the big gaps that we quite often see is because when people go off network and they're not on the VPN, there's very little protection. So this is still providing protection and visibility for those, for those users. So um, this is kind of an obligatory question just because I'm seeing it with a lot of my deployments. We're, we've got full v4, v6 parity in both products. Uh, we're not currently doing v6 in Edge. It's on the roadmap already. Um, v4, full parity, though. OK. We support. We have IPv, both IPv4.6 and v6 resolvers. Perfect. Obviously, resolving v6 is fine, quad A records, yep. absolutely fine through the DNS protocol. I was talking more, reflecting more on the transport protocol uh, for what we're doing in the back. Okay, so you're still shielding, um, you're, you're still watching traffic going yes, to Yes, so if it's quad A queries or yeah. IPv6 ARPA queries, we'll still see those. But you're using V4 as your actual resolving transport. Yep. Okay, and if you've got someone who really wants to use V6, they can always front end it. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, I'm just wondering, in, in the way that you you integrate those. Uh, we were just giving it a, a look to to what the the edge device in Bluecat is doing, and there's a there's a part where you just check the information, you try to build some kind of baseline, you understand what is happening. If there is something which is abnormal, then you will just well, you do something about it. You you just keep checking on all the info you get. But is anything about this just being uh, so up to which level is this integration occurring? Would you just then get to Umbrella after you check it in Bluecat and you say, hey, there's something weird here, and then you do, do some, some tandem there or something like that? Exactly that, David. So we have we have our full policy engine. We can have domain lists ourselves or threat protection, protecting the east-to-west traffic as a standalone edge solution would do. Uh, but we have a demarcation point where we say this is outside of the east-west traffic. This is now forward to Umbrella. It's the exact point. So we have our own capabilities, very similar to what Umbrella does on-prem. Um, but we rely purely on the north-south. That always goes to Umbrella. Okay. In this so then you will have two parallel policies, right? Yeah. One that is governing inside or the east-west and one that is going outside. Yeah. Now, now we get into how much of an integration is really present here. Now, I see how it's... I see how there's a synergy there. You've got your east-west plus your north-south. It all works really well. But are these managed as two entirely separate platforms, or is there some commonality in management, common dashboards, a way to synchronize policies, synchronize reporting? Is there but, anything like that going on? Yeah, at the, at the moment, they're 
purely two separate systems. It's just forwarding and traffic. But we are now slowly starting to integrate capabilities to inspect Umbrella. When we see something um, untowards and we haven't forwarded it yet to Umbrella, using the capabilities of Umbrella, actually investigate that and showing the query response, what Umbrella thinks of that reputation, the Umbrella scoring on it. So we are now starting to actually integrate that into Edge. So there's a further integration coming, um, taking more of the context of the excellent information that's in Umbrella. So is there a direction to eventually have a single management platform for the whole solution, or is it just going to maintain two products with some back and forth? Some level of synchronization? Yeah, I think it'll purely be synchronization because we have to take into account there are going to be Edge customers that don't have Umbrella and Umbrella customers that don't have Edge. So I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where it's a unified console for the pair of them. But I think take the best of both classes and integrate in that way would be the ideal approach. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be total. That, that would make total sense. You're just trying to cover all the the other pieces that the other is not covering, and then while doing some kind of tag team there to to fight everything away. So, okay, we'll have to cut that from the recording. I just <laughs> went blank completely. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, and then I didn't know boom. we could just say that. Can we cut this? <laughs> yeah, well, they will cut it. Well, there's only like there's like a 50-50 chance we'll cut it. Oh, okay. You might leave it in for <laughs> public even better if because we, I am promoted as I forgot what I was going to say. Do you yes. want to watch it or you know? Yeah, because if we enjoy this. And which I'm enjoying it right now, yeah. then we might just keep it. Yeah, I love it. It makes me look like not the old guy for a change. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still looking at the old guy. It's kind of a common thing. I think one of the, the complementary things that's, you know, Umbrella's fantastic at what it does, Blue Cat's fantastic at what it does. But I think as an industry in general, we overlook the absolute goldmine of data that's in DNS. Um, yes, you can see malware beaconing out, it's trying to reach command and control. Um, yes, your internal security sensors and firewalls can block access to traffic, but even a lot of times, seeing the context that an internal client has tried to query something like a set of database servers that it doesn't have access to, yes, security's blocked that, but being able to see that DNS query going on is a fantastic sensor. Have you got an infection inside the network you're not aware of? And these are trying things we're trying to profile at BlueCat. Um, for a long time, DHCP, you've been able to use the option list to say this is a Windows device, this is an Apple device, to do a fingerprint. And I think one of the interesting things just starting to come in this market is DNS fingerprinting. Uh, and the most basic concept of this is if you've seen a query for an NTP server, time at apple.com, well, it's an Apple device, but the same is true of a Windows device. If you see msupdate.com being called and queried, you can identify that IP address purely from its DNS traffic is a Microsoft machine. And I think this is a security context that I think both Umbrella and BlueCat are moving towards, being able to actually identify from the DNS traffic alone what type of device is going But to someone could spoof that, right? Yeah. Okay. And what's yeah. Yeah, well, to kind of add on to that, what I find so fascinating about this is just the visibility you get from a DNS perspective, right? Lots of times I'll ask people, any ideas how many DNS queries average user makes per day? And it's, it's roughly, we find around 3,000. And if you think of the business intelligence, the security intelligence you get just by pointing DNS, and it's one of the simplest things to configure, right? Just point your DNS towards these recursive Anycast IPs, and as a result, you can now get full visibility. So let's say you have two branches, right? Um, one branch might be making you know, a lot of Dropbox queries. The other might be using Box. Well, if you're standardized on one of those solutions, you can actually use that as business intelligence to say, hey, why are we using Box when the majority of users are using Dropbox or something, right? Very basic example, but you get into things like, hey, why does this office have a lot more phishing emails, right? <laughs> Maybe they're, they're clicking more phishing emails. Maybe they have 
different email security solutions. Uh, maybe the users have different levels of training, right? They know not to click phishing links. Um, hey, why is this office, you know, why is this server farm doing a bunch of crypto mining, right? We can provide visibility in the crypto mining. Um, the malware, the command and control, the phishing, um, there's heaps of categories, even just basic content categories like, um, you know, adult websites or gambling or something. You can kind of build an interesting profile of what's actually happening across across that and then being able to extend that for users on and off the network. Well, especially if you have Umbrella's data mine already. I've been telling my customers and a number of people that uh, the free open DNS name servers that people love to use all over the world, that's a beautiful source for mining all that information, even though they're not necessarily customers providing it. It's a great idea. Yeah, and that's that kind of adds, that's one of my favorite things too, is we see about 200 billion queries every single day. And what's interesting about that is it's not just queries from corporate users. You can imagine corporate users have a kind of different profile than a user at home or than a user in a coffee shop. But because we have that service, we have a completely free service to block you know, adult content at home. Um, we have free resolvers that anyone can use. Um, we have you know, municipalities, lots of over 18,000 enterprises, lots of schools, personal users, et cetera. We have this visibility. It's a, it's a vast amount of data, 200 billion queries a day, but it's also across all these different verticals, right? It's, um, you know, it's users, it's corporate traffic, it's internet cafes, et cetera. And that gives us quite a unique view of, you know, malicious infrastructure out there. Where, where's malicious stuff being hosted? If a domain's hijacked and it's now hosted on a malicious IP, um, you know, what are domains that we've never seen before? Those are newly seen domains. It gives us a lot of intelligence from that perspective. And in the, in the corporate world, we like to make sure everyone's educated not to click on the wrong things. And we, we complain that we're not doing a very good job of it, but we're doing a far better job of it with our users than we are with our grandmothers. <laughs> and, uh, when we've got grandma using OpenDNS and she's clicking on the, on the malware and the spyware, you're getting that information. You're, you're able to analyze that and then bring that back. That's, that's a really cool thing. And one of the things we're, we're doing at Blue Cat in the same sort of vein of this is um, micro-segmentation via DNS in the internal enterprise space. Obviously, the best security context is whitelisting. You're only allowed to query what you're allowed to query. Well, if you've got an application farm and a web server farm, being able to actually put edge service points in front of each of these and micro-segment, I can only talk to this in DNS, and I can only talk to that. Um, when you look at the case of IoT devices, which you can't generally stick an agent on, you know, they should probably only be speaking to their video server, et cetera, or this. Well, if you suddenly see one of your IoT devices querying Google.com, there might be something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so this is important context. And we also look at not just the actual query itself. That's half the conversation. It's the response that's coming back is important to log. And historical ways of doing this in, in the enterprise world has just been to take the entire query log, send it off to a SEM solution, and people start becoming very pro uh, reactive rather than proactive about their security. And I think that's the benefit of solutions like Umbrella and Edge. You're trying to bring DNS to be a proactive tool for security. Yeah, I think it's awesome because in general, in the past, and even right now in the present, people is just saying, don't click here, don't open this kind of web page, or just simply just lock or block whatever they can query or not. But now taking a step further and trying to just to get not, not only protecting them, but using this information for, for the future occurrence, because then you will be ready for anything happening later and, and building a profile. Actually, it's the first time that I hear the term DNS profiling and sounds pretty cool because many anyway, we use DNS for everything. There is no way you can just get rid of DNS at this point. So, well, now that you have to rely on it, then, well, let's just try to squeeze as much as we can. It's all this unlocked power of data thing that sounds so fantastic. 
but I, I think it's just a, an excellent way just to, to get the most of it. So, well, okay, I got blank again. Somebody will slap me. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, I only had like two hours of sleep. Then, like, oh. but, but, but that would do it. These DNS pre profiles are an interesting concepts, and it's you, you yeah. can start things doing like volumetric baselining. If if you know that this client has general this query range, mm. and you suddenly see a massive peak, and this is a stained thing, you know this is something you should probably monitor. Um, DNS is a fantastic protocol, but it's pretty dumb and stupid. It doesn't understand volume. <laughs> it doesn't understand temporal policies. And, and some of the things we're doing in sort of retail environments for point of sale equipment is blocking that the point of sale can only actually query DNS between nine and five. Using the edge service point, okay, that's when the point of sale can do it. But it can only reach certain websites, adding these extra layers of security on with DNS. And yeah, like I think we said this a little bit earlier too, but one of the great things about DNS is those point of sale devices, lots of times hospitals have these bespoke systems that they built. You really can't put agents on this, right? They're running out of date Windows operating mm. systems. It's running bespoke operating systems, um, you know, embedded OSs, but they're all leveraging DNS. So it is just by pointing the DNS, you still get that visibility for even, you know, devices that you can't put agents on, right? So it's yep. extremely yeah. simple to get that visibility and yeah. provide there, security there too. There's still the occasional customer that you just can't convince that they have to use DNS and not just use IP addresses for everything. But those are slowly but surely becoming things of the past, I hope. I think this is Gently. just an amazing hit for, for IoT because if you're deploying a, I don't know, plethora of devices with IoT and, well, these are quite light and you just can put a lot of features on them. Usually it's just, well, IP connectivity, I will just get a, a default gateway or the DNS server, boom, it's on. Mm -hmm. But if you can just put them and be able to just deploy them and, and they will be just right behind all this intelligence, then it's, well, it's a good way then you can, in which you can not only learn from all this because you will find that they will go to random places trying to query anything, but also to 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 protect the whole network. So, Always the people is trying to handle IoT with the most care possible because you never know what can happen with them. They're quite insecure. But if you, you can just surround them with all this, then it makes it a fantastic well place to be, at least for these two solutions working together in a way that we can just protect anything out and in. And I've seen a couple of IoT implementations where I think they're thinking ahead on this because we're seeing use of tertiary and quaternary domain levels mm. to to separate those out where we're going to have, you know, the heating system over here is, you know, you know, infrastructure heating on top of the domain name. And so you can actually purely by the domain name lock it down. I don't think they're doing that yet in the ones that I've seen, but it's obvious they're thinking ahead to it where you can just say, okay, I'm locking off access to this domain at this time. So that would be a particularly cool application for the DNS edge. The craziest um, way I've seen DNS deployed was actually uh, a DNS on a ship, believe it oh. or not. So using DNS, this is the address of right engine. This is the address of left engine. I was wow. stunned when I actually saw this DNS being used to control a ship in this manner. And I thought that having a... I don't know, having a fridge with IP was surprising. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, no, no. The things you can do with DNS are amazing. Like I can post you a picture of a trace route 
someone has done where every hop in the trace route lists off in DNS format the opening lines from Star Wars. <laughs> oh, of course. Boy, I've seen the trace route. <laughs> of course. You can use DNS indeed as a, a uh, global file system, believe it or not. <laughs> you can actually send records up to DNS which get cached, which you can reconstruct so you could store your data in DNS on the internet forever. And that's oh, why no. geek. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that also presents some risks, right? Because you have like something like DNS exfiltration, where what you have is to get around security mechanisms that are in place, you can actually use, you know, you have a domain, you can actually kind of squirrel sensitive information out of the organization mm -hmm. via DNS, right? And lots of times it will get around firewalls. Just make it part scanners. of the query. Yeah. Uh, have it down to eight level domain names and what's in your query is the data you want to send out. And that's a way where it's actually very simple if you were to visualize that information, but lots of times it'll be obfuscated. So it'll send it to these kind of crazy domains and then piece together on the other side. But it's one of those interesting topics as well where you can't just block all of it. Um, uh, everyone says, let's just block, block all exfiltration from going on. But a lot of endpoint security and virus scanners actually use DNS tunnels to reach its command and control. So it's a white usage of a DNS tunnel. Um, so we're always very wary when people say, let's just block all DNS tunneling from occurring, because there are some very white uses for it. Mm -hmm. and not to mention that, how do you necessarily tell if it's DNS tunneling? Just because it's got five levels in the domain name doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's not legit. Hmm. Yeah, and if it comes back with a with a proper reply, it's very difficult to tell whether that's legit or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so old school. I still remember what DNS was intended for. It's to replace IP addresses because they're difficult to remember. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, my my favorite is a um, I won't mention the name of the cloud vendor in particular that actually embeds the IP address in its DNS names, which sort of defeats the object totally. of having a DNS name. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, you usually you start to wonder uh, because uh, the main thing that you're thinking of since years ago is that, well, we're just replacing IPs and that's totally okay. Yeah. But then you realize the versatility that you can have around DNS and how powerful it can be, but it can be powerful and useful for you and also for somebody else who is not necessarily, well, a friend of yours. So actually, then it's this battle between learning the power in DNS and then also being able to well, to protect yourself from somebody misusing it. I, I, I put another slot on this. One of my favorites is, is DNS itself is, if you think about it, one of the world's most successful distributed databases <laughs> ever conceived that just works in a hierarchical fashion, which no one realizes is really there. Wow. I'll, that was I'll keep that. I will reuse that later. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I think on that note, we will wrap up this episode. Thank you, guys. This has been really cool. And I learned a lot personally. So that's what matters. Um, and y'all can listen to Cisco Champion Radio on, uh, what is it, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get it's your podcasts. Spotify. Spotify, and SoundCloud. Stitcher, SoundCloud. Yeah, get everywhere. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not going to say it. Anyways, thank you guys and talk to you soon. Good. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.